ready soldiers and loyal commanders. Chinese leader Xi Jinping reiterating the army's combat readiness and overhauling the leadership of China's nuclear arsenal. What is China prepping for? Civilians urged to help sniff out spies. That's the latest message from Beijing's top espionage agency under the eye of a strict new law. Over 20 people dead as severe flooding soaks Beijing. Typhoon Daksuri's impacts are now expanding downstream to another Chinese city. China's export curbs on two chip-making metals kick in. How could the measure impact global production, from electric vehicles to smartphones? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Hints of war, military leadership purges, and record oil buying from China. To begin, Chinese leader Xi Jinping calling for combat readiness during a recent troop inspection. According to state-run media reports, Xi is reminding China's Air Force of the need to modernize the military. As for what that looks like, China has been upping its long-range capabilities at sea and in the sky. This comes amid a recent increase in drills around Taiwan. But amidst these talks of outward bravado, a reshuffling inside China. China's nuclear missile unit has a new chief after two former leaders were removed. Their dismissal has sparked rumors of a purge inside China's military leadership. No word yet from Beijing on the whereabouts of the former generals. A report by the South China Morning Post last week suggests they're being investigated for corruption. That's citing unnamed sources. This follows the scrubbing of Qinggan from official websites, who served as China's foreign minister for less than seven months. The China program deputy director at the Foundation for Defense of Democracy's think tank telling Newsweek this high-level purge occurs amidst China's not-so-transparent effort to significantly expand its nuclear forces. That's due to Xi Jinping's past referrals to this unit as a core deterrent against the U.S. But he adds it could also be sparked by fear after seeing the Wagner rebellion in Russia. As for what all these movements mean for us, some say it could signal a coming war. I see the biggest risk to the world being a declining China. And everything says China is in decline. China's demographics are terrible. China's economy is terrible. Um, that's what causes... When countries are going well, they tend not to go to war. Dan Harris serves as a legal counsel for U.S. companies doing business in China. But as for war being imminent, he says not so fast. Now, I am not saying China's going to go to war. I certainly hope that they don't. Um, and this is just one factor that causes countries to go to war. So I am not making any prediction here, predictions here, but things are not looking good. This comes as China's unemployment rate among youth hit a record of 21 percent in June, with one in five young people in China without a job. Some parents are even paying their children to do chores, earning the name full-time children. But at the same time, China has ramped up oil imports, setting a new record last month for over 40 percent increase from last year. That's despite the country pumping out its own record amount of oil, ranking fifth in the world. Those inconsistencies have led some reports to suggest China is hoarding oil. As for why, it's still unknown. 
A top ministry in Beijing now urging civilians to join the country's anti-spying efforts. China's state security ministry just launched an official account on WeChat, a popular Chinese social media platform. It's Beijing's top foreign intelligence gathering agency. In its first post Tuesday, it suggested the country should encourage citizens to participate in counter-espionage work, going on to propose ways for people to report suspicious activity and rewards for doing so, adding the Chinese system must make anti-spying work, quote, normal for the public to do. The message appears to line up with another recent development, China's revised anti-espionage law taking effect. The rule strongly ups the punishment for anything Beijing deems spying, including the transfer of information related to China's national security. But it doesn't clearly define what that means. The vagueness has Western nations concerned, mainly for foreign companies operating inside China, saying that normal business operations could be deemed criminal. Under China's new law, spying offenses could bring on punishments like arbitrary detention, life in prison, or even execution. To help sniff out so-called offenders, the rule grants Chinese authorities new power to access data, electronic communication, and details on personal property. And the state ministry's message suggests they're now calling on citizens to help. Beijing maintains that it aims to safeguard its national security through what it calls the rule of law. China has a history of detaining foreign nationals on spying charges. Retaliation from China. The communist country launches expert controls on two metals Tuesday, which are critical for weapons production. It's being seen as retaliation for Western restrictions on China's access to advanced chips. Entities Jeremy Sandberg tells us more. Beijing announced early last month that it would restrict exports of gallium and germanium, two metals essential to the production of semiconductors and green energy technologies. The move follows actions taken by the Biden administration that include broad export controls in the Chips and Science Act. Japan, South Korea and the Netherlands also reached an agreement with the U.S. to limit China's access to materials used in advanced computer chips. Germanium is used in solar panels, electric vehicles, and batteries. Gallium is one of the components used in semiconductors for mobile phones, 5G systems, LEDs, and other electronics. Shane Tews, president of Logan Circle Strategies, says the pandemic exposed just how reliant the U.S. supply chain is on China. They have um, different environmental standards when it comes to mining. So when we're thinking about this going forward, we really need to think about the supply chain as part of a, a long tail process. Because you're dealing with different governments, these are things that we need to have trade agreements. So we make sure that we're thinking not only about the geopolitical issues, but the environmental issues, as well as the, the workforce issues that go into this. And um, we, we don't have a control on that right now with China. We supply, a lot of their supply is something that keeps us, uh, you know, all our devices working. And Anything with an on button has a, um, you know, has a semiconductor chip in it, and that's a very, you know, concerning item. So we're, we're we need to think about where these rare earth minerals can be from besides China. And so China produces an estimated 60% of the world's germanium and about 90% of the world's gallium. And I think the important thing, and it's one of the reasons why we study history as well, is to see how we don't get into that situation again. And supply chain is really important at like every level, even when it comes to information flow. Tu's emphasized the importance of working with trusted partners to secure the supply chain. We need to think about uh, how we're doing bilateral, multilateral agreements with other countries and the, um, the evidence we're seeing that China is not the best place to do business in this area.
According to the latest Mineral Commodity Summaries report from the U.S. Geological Survey, China is the dominant supplier of 16 minerals classified as critical, along with 25 other minerals. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. To combat the shift, the Pentagon is seeking new sources for gallium. As of now, it has reserves of germanium but doesn't keep gallium. So it's trying to contract U.S. or Canadian companies to help recover supplies. Those companies will recover gallium from waste streams and other products, which would then get recycled for use. The Pentagon says recovery instead of mining is the fastest way to stock up. Recyclable gallium can be sourced from semiconductor wafer scrap or from used or defective devices that contain it. Japan also relies heavily on a similar recycling approach for the mineral. A look at Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' strategy for 2024. He vowed Monday to deter China from invading Taiwan using a mix of hard power and economic measures if he's elected. Here's more. I'm running for president because we need to reverse the decline of this country and restore our country to the greatness that it deserves. And that begins uh, by restoring an American economy that actually works for American families again. Ron DeSantis laid out his plan for shoring up the American economy Monday in New Hampshire as he tries to do the same for his 2024 presidential campaign. China has become more authoritarian, more powerful, and more ambitious. DeSantis didn't mention Trump in Monday's speech, instead focusing his attention on a variety of economic concerns, including China. We've developed a dangerous dependence on Chinese supply chains, and our companies have been exposed to a hostile security apparatus. The elite sold us a bill of goods when it came to China. DeSantis is hoping more intimate events, such as this New Hampshire barbecue on Sunday, will boost his small-dollar contributions, which is key for the health of his campaign. Negative views of China nearing historic highs. A new survey says 67 percent of adults across 24 countries now hold unfavorable views of China. Plus, half of Americans see China as the biggest threat to the U.S. From February to May, the Pew Research Center asked 27,000 adults about their opinions on China-linked topics. They came from countries across North America, Western Europe, Asia-Pacific, Latin America, and Africa. Here's how they answered. 71% say the Chinese Communist Party does not contribute to global peace and stability. Nearly 60% responded that Beijing interferes with the affairs of other countries to a great or fair extent. 76% believe the CCP designs its foreign policy without taking the interests of the countries it interacts with into account. Asked about Xi Jinping's ability to do the right thing on the world stage, most of the 24 countries voiced little to no confidence. Beijing has worked to paint itself as a global peace broker in recent months, proposing an agreement on how to end the Russian war in Ukraine and mediating a peace deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia. But experts point out that China's human rights record and territory disputes with other countries contradict that message. Worth noting, countries with strong economies tend to report overwhelmingly negative views of Beijing. Smaller economies, which may be more dependent on Chinese money, responded more favorably, though have still trended downward in recent years. 
At least 20 people dead in China as severe flooding and heavy rain hammers the capital, Beijing. But reports are coming out that suggest the casualties go far beyond official data. The city streets have been submerged for almost four days. Tens of thousands were evacuated Monday night. In another city downstream of Beijing called Zhuozhou, local officials told the press that flooding from Beijing was rushing into the area, stating that Beijing's council bureau released excess water from reservoirs without notice ahead of time. Now, thousands of people are missing. In some residential compounds, floodwaters reach as high as second-floor apartments. Videos capture cries for help. Well, train passengers heading to Beijing got stuck en route for over 30 hours. Some of them opting to brave the floodwaters and walk for over 10 hours for rescue. Destroyed vehicles, road construction debris, and uprooted plants piled into trash hills, halting traffic routes, with many buses and cars also getting swept away. Air Force troops and helicopters have been deployed to rescue people, since ground transportation is at a standstill. That chaos largely comes from Typhoon Dokshuri, dumping record rainfall on the city of nearly 22 million. But even more could be coming. A severe weather alert warns of further rainfall for Beijing in the coming days. Can residents of Hong Kong still cast votes without fear after Beijing's sweeping security law imposed on the city three years ago? To help, overseas activists came up with a plan, hosting an election for a Hong Kong parliament abroad. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg brings us more on the committee's mission shared by an initiator. The goal of the Hong Kong Parliament Electoral Organizing Committee is to hold safe, credible elections internationally. Elections guaranteed to be free of the Chinese Communist Party's control. Hong Kong is like a police state, and the national security law is like martial law in Hong Kong. But people don't relate to that. So, in, in fact, we lost all our freedom, rule of law and democracy. So we need to do something. The idea is inspired by the Tibetan parliament in exile. Elmer Yuan, the initiator of the committee, says according to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, Hong Kongers have the right to vote for their own government to determine their own future. He says now all branches of Hong Kong's government, including the district council, is being totally manipulated by Beijing. They are afraid of competition for control of China and its people. So what we want to do is we want to wrestle the power to the people, not by the elite and not by the Communist Party members. UN says the U.S. needs to make a choice about Hong Kong. We need to get rid of the Communist Party once and for all, at all price, because it's not only the Hong Kong people or the Chinese people. The whole world is affected. Look at COVID. It's horrible. And look at the fentanyl here. It's killing so many people. They must make up their mind and uh, do away with the CCP once and for all. Election regulations are set to be established next month. The committee has asked all Hong Kong elected representatives who held office before July 2020 to participate in the upcoming parliament election slated for later this year. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Another big story to look out for, sun bears or humans dressed in costumes. A bear standing on its hind legs at a Chinese zoo has some residents confused. That report and more coming up tomorrow on China in Focus. 
Coming up on our next edition of America's Hope, what's it like for Afghan women and children left behind under Taliban rule after the U.S. withdrawal? We'll talk to Mary Matash and Jason Jones, who are actively engaged in helping vulnerable people left behind. That's next on America's Hope. But coming up today, the world's biggest economic powers clash in a high-stakes rivalry. The U.S. accuses China of unfair trade practices and intellectual property theft, while China believes Washington hopes to curb its global rise. Why do President Donald Trump and President Joe Biden's trade policies look so similar, despite stark differences on other issues? And how are we feeling the impact of the U.S.-China trade war? We sat down with Steve Moore, Senior Fellow in Economics at the Heritage Foundation and co-founder of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity for details. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. A tense rivalry between the world's two biggest economic powers. Washington claims China is trading unfairly, running huge surpluses at Americans' expense. That's on top of criticism over Beijing's intellectual property theft, technology transfer and block on market access for U.S. companies. What's the latest in U.S.-China trade war? And how does it affect the global market? We speak to Steve Moore, Senior Fellow in Economics at the Heritage Foundation and co-founder of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity for more. Steve Moore, thank you so much for joining us. A pleasure to be here. I want to zoom in on trade right now between the U.S. and China. How do you see the relationship there between the U.S. and China? Well, I've long been a free trade advocate, and I do think free trade makes countries, both countries, better off when countries trade with each other. Um, but I think that, you know, we need to be tough with China because China is an adversary and an enemy of the United States, and they've moved more towards a, a both a communist form of government that's very oppressive, but also they also represent a military threat as well and a national security threat. And for all the, and also they don't play by the rules either. We need to have a tough, firm stance against China and not kowtow to them. So I, I and by the way, I think like a lot of Americans, I can't quite figure out what the Biden strategy is with respect to China. It does seem there's a lot of focus on, say, cooperation in terms of the climate. We are seeing this push for a carbon neutral in like 2035, this push for EVs, which seems to create this growing dependence and reliance on China for a lot of those materials and minerals. How so is I think you've really just America? nailed it. I mean, here we have, you know, with so many issues that are front and center with the respect to our national security, with respect to Taiwan, with respect to these predatory trade practices that China is involved in, with respect to how they handle COVID. And we're over there talking to them about climate change. I mean, it's lunatic, really. I mean, and by the way, the last thing that President Xi cares about is climate change. They'll, they'll sign any treaty and then they'll laugh behind our backs. China is by far the biggest polluter in the world. And so it's a joke, really, that they go over there and say, oh, you know, they don't look at their human rights 
uh, record. They don't look at what they're doing with respect to uh, Taiwan. They don't look at what they're doing with respect to, you know, their um, these trade practices, which are in some ways hurtful to the United States. They're talking about, you know, China um, signing on to tra uh, tra treaties on the climate that China has no interest in ever um, honoring. I mean, they, they don't care. They'll, they'll sign any treaty and then they'll do exactly the opposite. It does seem in terms of, say, the U.N., they consider China a developing country, so it's not held to the same standards of emissions as the U.S. And how can you say that China, which is the second richest country in the world, how are they a developing country? I mean, 50 years ago they were, but now they're the second strongest uh, economy in the world. And the most important thing for the United States now and over the next 10, 20, 50 years is to make sure that we are the economic superpower, not China. How do we make the U.S. stay the economic power? If we could rewind the clock, we probably wouldn't allow uh, China into the World Trade Organization because they haven't played by any of the rules. And so, the, and I was in favor of it at the time, but I look back and I think it was a mistake. And I think um, we have to have the world really unified against uh, China's unfair trade practices, but also their human rights violations, the fact that they um, are uh, not playing by the rules, uh, and they also are one of the biggest polluters in the world. So all of those things are, are really um, front and center. Biden doesn't put competitiveness in a front and center direction like Trump did. We need to be competitive in everything that we do, and that means we need to return to energy independence. We have to lower our tax rates. We have to reduce the regulations on American companies. We have to make our workers the most productive in the world. I want to zoom in on the free market concept in America, because it seems, at least when we look at the Chinese regime, they're almost using that against us. So how do we ensure we still have the system we want without having someone like the Communist Party of China take advantage of it. Well, look, the freest country always wins. It's that simple, I mean, in terms of economic freedom. China will fail if they stay on the path they're on right now because socialism and communism always fail. That's an inferior model of trying to grow economy and to allocate capital. So they've got the government politicians making all these decisions over there. Let model show me anywhere or any time in the history of the world where that model has worked. So. I, I'm not concerned, so much concerned about what China's doing. I'm concerned what we're doing here at home that is moving more in a socialist direction and is, is going to really put America in jeopardy if we stay on that course. And Steve, with all the areas covered, any final thoughts? And I really do believe that, you know, we need to get back to the idea um, that Reagan had, which is that the United States is a beacon of freedom for the rest of the world. And it has to be, because if we're not going to be the beacon of freedom, who is going to be? Steve Moore, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.